driving by the church on Sunday from the outside looking in. It's like a, a, several people do that when they find out they're adopted. Some people handle it well. Some people have known since they were young, but I didn't know. And 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 all of a sudden, I went from being this good kid to this rebellious kid. Well, then the enemy come in, came in with sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and and lured me away from the Lord, and 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 I went down a lot of crazy roads. And, and then my birth mother said, and I think. Years after he got me pregnant, he got another lady pregnant. So I knew that there was another kid floating out there somewhere, but didn't know who it was. Welcome to the Complicated Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah May, and this is a show all about exploring messy heart topics and the strategies we can use to seek healing in the pain and restoration in the ruins. Oh, friends, today is a special show. Recently, I was on the Life Today show, and I providentially met two wonderful men of God who have such an inspiring God story that I knew I wanted you all to hear it. So I asked them if they would come on the podcast, and they said yes. Today, you are going to hear from Michael Anthony Curtis and Morgan Parks. So Michael is a music producer, singer, songwriter, and he has written songs for Blake Shelton, Josh Turner, Randy Travis, Leanne Womack, just to name a few. And he's going to be here with Morgan Parks, who is the associate pastor at Collierville Christian Church in Collierville, Tennessee. I hope I'm saying that right. Make sure you stay tuned through the show because there is a special song that you're going to get to hear later. Now, before we get to the story, this week's review winner is JYPNYC, and here is part of the review. I found out about Sarah from an episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast and just connected with her. Not only does she have a euphonious voice, (laughs) but she is beautifully vulnerable and feels like a sweet older sister. I've always wanted an older sister. Listening to Sarah's story and the things she's learned, I feel less alone. I appreciate you sharing your experience because the Lord is redeeming so much of your story to bring Him glory. So thankful for your voice and story. Well, JYPNYC, email me at podcast at com with your snail mail address so I can send you a little gift. Now, friends, if you want to leave a review— I want to thank you by name and honor you with a little something. So every week, I'm going to pick a new review to read on the show and then send you a little gift of thanks. If you'd be willing to leave a review, just head to iTunes. It will take two minutes and under ratings and review, you'll see where you can tap to rate. And then under that in little purple words, it says write a review. Just click that. If you find this show helpful, please give it a five-star rating. Thank you all so much for listening and passing the show along. And now, my interview with Michael Anthony Curtis and Morgan Parks. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining the Complicated Heart Podcast. Today, I am talking with Michael Anthony Curtis and Morgan Parks. And you may not know who they are, but you are going to because they have an incredible story. I am so very, very excited to share it. So uh, real quick, Michael, Tell me just, give me something brief. Who the heck are you and where are you living and what are you doing? 
Well, I'm in a town called, well, it's actually Florence, Alabama, but it's kind of known as Muscle Shoals, the Shoals. And we at one point in time were the hit recording capital of the world. I was born in Tennessee, south of Nashville. And, you know, I've been around music and stuff all my life. And and actually growing up, uh, God provided me with a great outlet to be able to write songs and record music and sing music. And, and that was always a great out for me. And then when I came to know the Lord, I started using it for him and, and telling unique stories and doing uh, things in, in that kind of way through folks like Randy Travis, Blake Shelton, Shenandoah, just different people that I got to work with and God had blessed me to record with. And, and it was kind of unique how I, I, the, the Lord gave me a gift to take words and stories and, 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 and a way to minister through country and gospel music. And, uh, you know, and, and a lot of that coming out of the uh, some of the pain that I had growing up. You know, I grew up with my grandparents, didn't know who uh, my mother was. She was basically my mother till I was about five years old. And then I didn't find out who my dad was till later years. And, and you know, being born out of wedlock, but I was raised by my grandparents, raised up in church. After finding out a lot of things about my life, I started going down a lot of bad roads. Uh, and there's a lot of people out there, you know, like this, when they find out that they were kind of living a lie uh, or their parents or grandparents had, had lied to them, then, then they find out the truth. Sometimes it takes a long time to come to grips with that. So some people turn to alcohol and drugs to deal with the anxiety and, and depression, and some people turn to a lot of different things. And And I turned to several of those things, but the one thing that got uh, that was my solace through most of it was music because I was able to write about it and talk about it through music and um, and God's had me on some unique journeys Sarah but and 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 I've learned how uh, it is to be at home with the Lord uh, and in his presence and worshiping in him and walking in his light and I also know very well how it is to be the prodigal and and, and blowing your inheritance and you know your spiritual inheritance and just kind of being out there in the pig pen and finally realizing, hey, I need the love of my daddy God. And- That's so great. Oh, I'm so, I'm just, mm, it's such an honor that we're going to be able to hear your story today. And Morgan, Morgan, tell me something about you. Who who are you? Where are you from? What are you doing? Um, from Memphis, Tennessee. I moved to Memphis from Nashville when I was six and grew up there. And uh, now I'm a minister in Carrierville, Tennessee, which is right outside of Memphis. And I've been there for a number of years and work in the Emmaus community and work for the Upper Room and work for as a independent minister at a funeral home and just busy as can be. What is the Emmaus community? I'm sorry, I don't know what that is. Emmaus is part of the uh, Upper Room, which is a, even though I'm not Methodist, it's a Methodist organization, and it's a four-day spiritual retreat uh, where you just go and learn about the agape love of Christ, and you're served by people uh, for an entire weekend, and it's just meant to take Christians and strengthen them and let them stop in the middle of their adult life with no cell phone, no computers, no watch, zero. And you go on this four-day retreat and just kind of center yourself again on your relationship with God and talk about the love of Christ, the agape love that we get. And then you're sent back home to strengthen your church and your congregations and your home and your, your environment. 
Sign me up. Okay. I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you're a, um, you've been a Christian worship leader for a long time and you have like 50 grandchildren, right? Uh, not quite 50 that I know of. (laughs) I have 12. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, you guys, I just am very excited to share with the listeners who you are because everyone is still going, well, we, who, what, and, and why are they both on and, and what do they have to do with each other? So this is what we're going to do. Michael, I would love it if you would tell your story for our listeners. You can start where you want to start, take it where you want to go, and I'll ask questions as we go. Well, I was born uh, in a little small town in Tennessee and my mom had gave me to my grandparents. My grandmother wanted me real, real bad. <laughs> and um, so my grandparents ended up raising me. And um, and like I said, I was born out of wedlock. And, uh, you know, for, for, for the most part, uh, I knew something was different, Sarah. Uh, there was a picture of a, of a soldier that my grandmother kept in her uh, chest of drawers. And I would get that out at six, seven, eight years old, and I would, I would think to myself, well, that's my dad. He must have got killed in war, and they don't want to tell me that till I get older. And I carried that, you know, and I was a normal kid, even though I was raised by my grandparents. I went to church. I played baseball, went to school, made good grades. And then when I was about 12, 13 years old, I was actually playing hide-and-seek hide and across the road with some kids and we were teasing this young girl about her dad not being her real dad. And this one guy looks at me and he goes, well, your dad is so-and-so. And And so I go back to my grandmother and I said, well, I found out who my real dad was. And, and I called out. How did this guy know who, wait, how did this kid know who your dad was? Uh, well, he, 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 he'd been in the family. He was there when it all kind of, by basically. Oh, he was older. Yeah. Yeah, and he so anyway he he kind of knew the story before I knew the story. So anyway, um, I went back and 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 mentioned the name to my grandmother, and her face turned white as a ghost, and she goes, "Who told you that?" So I knew it was the truth. And for me, everything that I had believed in, I mean, I still to this day say my grandparents would never lie, and they never lied to me. They just didn't tell me the truth. And so when I when I found out the truth, you know. Is like a, a, several people do that when they find out they're adopted. Some people handle it well. Some people have known since they were young, but I didn't know. And 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 all of a sudden, I went from being this good kid to this rebellious kid. But amongst that rebellion, and uh, I came to know Christ. And how did you come to know Christ? What happened? Oh, I was actually in a, in, a, in a little church and. Uh, this town, and, and I heard the gospel. And, you know, from my grandparents, who were very godly people, like I said, I was raised up in church. But this particular, it was a Sunday in October. I never will forget it. And I just thought, well, you know, when I heard about the love of Christ and how he died for me and that a father gave his only son, I said, well, you know, I think pretty much I said to myself, well, maybe he can love me if nobody else can. And and I felt, I'm telling you, Sarah, I knew when I gave my heart to him and I received him, was baptized, and I knew I was saved. There was no doubt in my mind I was saved, and I fell so in love with Jesus. I just wanted to go be with him. I, I had enough of this earth and wanted to go be with him. It wasn't a suicidal thing or anything. I just wanted to go be with him. 
Well, then the enemy comes in, came in with sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and and lured me away from the Lord, and 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 I went down a lot of crazy roads, and uh, you know, chasing musical dreams like a lot of artists do, and was married a couple times, had some kids, and then and I, and I mean, I was basically a train wreck for years, and just didn't know it. I was trying to figure out who I was, and the enemy had me out there in the music world. You know, basically being somebody I wouldn't. And in 1990, uh, I'd come to the end of me. And I was at this church, and this lady gave a story why she'd never been married and give her life to Christ at a very young age. And she dreamed that she was sitting on a park bench, and this carriage pulled up, and this hand came out of the carriage. And a voice said, you can't marry that man. You're married to the king. And, sir, I ran to the altar crying crocodile tears because it was like it all came rushing back to me. You've been trying to marry yourself to the world. You've been trying to find yourself in the world. You've been trying to find yourself in all of these things. But, son, you belong to me. And and it was then and there I totally surrendered my life to Christ. And and, and what was so amazing is all these country artists and people that I kept trying to get to record my songs. I started writing songs about country songs about Jesus, and they all started recording my songs. And uh, it was just, it was truly that that full repentance and coming to uh, know him, the prodigal came home. And then I settled down, I remarried. Uh, I've got seven beautiful children. I've got 10 beautiful grandchildren. I love my children and my grandchildren dearly. And then later on after that, uh, I came to know my father, my, my, my real dad. And uh, got to know him and hear his story, and find out that he was a Korean War veteran. And 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 before he passed away, uh, I learned to love him. And 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 I was able through the grace and mercy of Christ to forgive the people who hurt me, the people that lied to me. And 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 finally, the greatest thing that happened to me, sir, is I was able to look in the mirror and forgive myself. And uh, and I know there's so many people out there, you know that. Um, they just need to know that, you know, we're all in this big fish boat together. Some of us made worse mistakes than others, but it's only through the blood of Jesus and his grace that you you can even learn to forgive and, and, and find your true identity. And that was the thing. If you look at Christ and you look at his walk in his 33 years, he knew who he was in the Father. He knew who he was. And when you know who you are in him, it's an amazing thing. I want to I want to ask you a couple questions. When so your mom after you moved in with your grandparents, I think you said you were 5. Did you know your mom after that? Did you stay in relationship with her? I did and 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 it would you know um I won't go into all the details other than you know I I I did not get along with my stepfather growing up. You know, he he kind of had the Adage, he he wanted to adopt me, and, and my grandmother was not going to have it. She didn't like him. She didn't get along with him. And so he told her, said, well, if I, I can't adopt him, I don't want nothing to do with him. And, you know, I went through a lot of verbal and, and, and mental abuse after uh, growing up. I didn't realize what it was at the time. But rejection, sir, is a very powerful thing. It, it's a very powerful demon. And, and, and when you've been and you've dealt with rejection, 
the enemy will constantly use that. I mean, I've learned that you can be, if you are physically, sexually, emotionally, or rejectedly abused, you could be a 50-year-old CEO and emotionally never grow two years past the time that you dealt with that abuse. So, I mean, that's why you've got folks that you see are, are brilliant business people, but they act like a 10-year-old emotionally because they're still stuck. Yes, yes. Well, let me ask you this. Did you ever um, reconcile with your mom? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I love, I, I, it, you know, the one thing that Christ gave me, even as a very young child, was a big old gracious heart. I couldn't, I can, I've never been able to hold, never, Sarah May, never have I been able to hold a grudge for long against anybody. And then after I got saved, it was even multiplied. And, and I was, now I was hurt several times, not feeling like that she didn't want me and, and she, you know, and seeing my other siblings get more than I got and not feeling, but it's just like today, my mom's still alive and, and my stepfather's still alive. And, and, and when I go home, I'm home. And, and, and I love my mom very dearly and I love my stepfather very dearly. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's the thing about forgiveness and grace, because the one thing is I matured and got older. God allowed me to look at what they went through and what made them that way and what caused them to make those decisions. And, and, and show and when you're looking through the worldly eyes, you want, there's anger and resentment, bitterness. But when you look through the eyes of Jesus, and you look through mercy and grace. Yes. Then you can see somebody else's pain and see why they're stuck and why they react certain ways. That is so powerful and so true. There is something that is only of God that I think that we can do that where you, I love how you said it, when we can look through the eyes of Jesus, then we can begin to see people's pain. And it's not, a, it's not an excuse for the way that they've hurt us, but it just helps us to understand. Correct. It gives us compassion. Is your mom walking with the Lord? Absolutely. I, that's the great thing through all of this. I, I honestly believe uh, when I got to know my dad, I mean, he, he died 12 years ago now. And, but I, I know he knew Jesus, and my mom knows Jesus, and my stepfather knows Jesus. And it, it's great to know that, you know, once we get out of these earthly bodies in this earthly realm, there will be no more of the pain. The, there will be none of that. Yeah. You know, and, and when you get right down to it, Sarah— Mm-hmm. When you become born again, it's not that you, we're, I'm negating your DNA here on earth. Yeah. But when you become born again, because there's some people that never come to know who their parents are. There's some people that wish they didn't know who their parents are. Mm. But I can tell you one thing. When you know who your heavenly father is and you are wrapped in and you know your DNA is his, and that's the eternal DNA, then your physical earthly DNA becomes not necessarily meaningless but it, it, it just it, it's not it's not that much of a factor because when you look into the eternal you realize that hey even my mom my dad my stepfather when we get there we're going to all be brothers and sisters in Christ mm, that's right that's so good i heard beth moore say recently she said something like you know all these christians that we disagree with if we could just all have karaoke together <laughs> Like, or she said something like, I look forward to having karaoke with all of them in heaven. Like kind of joking around, like you think you have these disagreements with your brother or sister in Christ, but just picture like in heaven, you all just singing together, you know, 
funny songs or whatever, just this idea of the humor and the camaraderie and the kindredness of it. And uh, there's just something that breaks down some walls. So Michael, how did you, how did you overcome rejection? In 2007, 2008, I went through a, a, a real hard time in my marriage and, and we'd been married going on about 20 years, had four beautiful children, but the enemy had gotten her head that what we had wasn't good enough. The grass was greener on the other side. And so I did not see that coming. And ironically, when I went through this, that divorce and through that breakup, I went back to drinking again. I went back to partying again. I got mad at God. I said, all these years of serving you and you let me go through this again and, and be because all but because instead of running to the cross, I ran to the world, and guess what the enemy brought back to the table? All the rejection, all the hurt, every, all those demons from the past to finally, I, 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 got, I was working with the country singer Randy Travis, and he went through a divorce, and then he had that stroke. And being out in Texas, sir, I sat out there and said, God, I am yours. Once again, I just said, I, and I came back to Alabama and for a year, I laid in the floor and cried out to God and would cry out to God and cry out to God. And then I, I, God introduced me to this amazing, I always said after that, I said, here's God, here's my children. And I want to know that both of them want that person in there before I ever marry again. And my wife, Denise, I'm, I'm telling you, I fell so in love with her because I fell in love with her heart. I wrote her a song. Uh, it, it says, you know, when that alarm clock gives its warning, you're the first she talks to in the morning. The last one when the day is through. Oh, I love the way she loves you. Because that is, is how she loved Christ. And, and being with somebody now that I'm equally yoked with, that my children love, that I know loves God more than she loves me, it allowed all that rejection stuff to fade away again, and it allowed the, the prodigal once again to come home. Thank God it didn't take too many years this time. But uh, I learned in the midst of all that, we're all stained glass without the blood of Jesus. Yes, and you have a story about stained glass, but we can come back to that a little bit later. It's, it's amazing when you, you know, even the prodigal, when he returned home, you know, the father didn't wait. Once he saw him turn, he ran. And, and we know the story, those of us that grew up in church, how he, here he is with a pig crap and slop all over him. And the father comes and throws himself around his neck and says, kill the fatted calf, bring the robe. And it's amazing when we come home, the gifts that God brings and restores. And sitting next to me is one of the gifts that I believe God brought out of my returning to him. And uh, it's been pretty amazing. Yes, and we're going to hear that story in just a minute. So I just have two two more questions for you, and then we're gonna um, we're gonna hear from Morgan. How did you find your dad, and and what was that like when you first found him and said, "Hey, I'm your son." Well, actually, the, they <laughs> when he found out that I knew, then he he reached out to me briefly, and then. Later on, uh, he was diagnosed with lymphocytic leukemia, and he moved back to our hometown, and he wa he wanted his children to be checked to see if we had that gene. And so we were. And then, I, you know, I had been told that there might be another one out there like me, so I'd been searching and looking for years. And it's funny because 
every time because they didn't know if, if, if it was male or female. But so every time I would meet somebody that had a similar story as me, I would wonder if that, if that was uh, maybe my brother or sister. But I got to know my my dad, and and it, it was later, and you know, it was really about ten years before he passed away, and we it, it, it didn't like uh, sir, we were real real intimately close we would see each other a few times a year but we talked but because of the, of the forgiveness and grace and mercy that god in, had put in my heart i was able to to forgive and look and and the one thing that i do know uh even sitting talking to him one day boy he really regretted the sins of his past and he he, he you know he and that's why i know that he he had made peace with the lord and and um but but hey, uh, you know, once again, I'm going to say it. If sometimes God, He says He works all things to good. So sometimes when sin, when we we get into sin, it, it's not good at that time. But 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 God, being the wonderful, amazing, loving God and Father, He is. He He <laughs> He can make beautiful masterpieces out, out of beautiful messes. Yes, absolutely. So you said something interesting. You said that your dad had other children, but you didn't know who they were. Is that right? That's correct. And and in fact, after getting to know him and talking to some of the family members, they said, I think there's another one that was born out of wedlock like you. We don't know if it's a boy or a girl. And so I'd been searching for years and and here a couple years ago, man, God just, that's what I'm saying. You know, remember when the prodigal came home, and and got his stained glass polished up. All of a sudden, the the father started. He brought out the robe and the ring, and it started dropping the jewels back into his life. And and that's my, the first one was Denise, and then the the next one was um. Well, let's just find out. So Morgan, hi. You've been patiently quiet. Hey. So why don't you tell us? Your story. Walk us through your story. Okay, same small town that that uh, Michael referenced. My dad was my adopted father. Was the Church of Christ minister in that town, and of course, my mother, his wife, and they had found out that they couldn't have children, and so they kind of you know put the word around the congregation, and it just happened to be in the congregation there was a lady there who happened to have a daughter who was 18 and was pregnant and was in the unwed mother's home in the state there. And so very quickly it was decided that the baby would be given to the minister and his wife. And so I was born and then four days later adopted. Within a couple of months after I was born, my birth mother was writing my parents' letters saying, you know, can I at least have a picture? Can I have this? Can I have that? So finally their lawyers told them, Y'all have to move. You can't stay in the same town, especially not go to the same church where you got this baby from this little girl. So they moved first to to New Orleans and then back up into Tennessee and around to Nashville and then to Memphis. So I grew up in Memphis and was not anywhere near the that original uh, where the original small town was. But I was a Church Christ minister's son in Memphis, Tennessee. So when I turned 18, my parents divorced when I was 13. And um, stayed, lived with my mother. And then when I turned 18, my mother and my stepfather at that point were getting ready to go on a trip. And they said, here's, uh, 
your birth papers, here's everything, birth certificate and your adoption papers, and here's letters that your birth mother wrote to us. And if you want to, when we get back from a week's vacation, which number one, and I still say this to this day, why do you leave an 18-year-old boy at home with a car and go on a week's vacation? But that was another whole story. I would never do that, but they... Were you, let me ask you this, were you walking with the Lord? I know you were raised by Christians and everything, but at 18, were you walking with the Lord? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was very boring. Okay. I mean, my, okay. my, my, I, well, I, say that, I say that when my parents divorced, uh, my, my story was like Michael's except earlier. When my when my parents divorced and my dad stepped out of the ministry and uh, I, st- I, li- I stayed with my mom, living with her, and, and, and I started into uh, smoking marijuana. It wasn't, you know, lots and lots of drugs. But um, I did the same thing. I started playing music when I was 13 and wrote my first song that I sold when I was 14, then began to play in a band full time and still do to this day. And literally music saved me because it kept me from a lot of places I could have gone very early on. So my uh, my walk was a little different. Michael's came later. Of course, I'm three years older than him as well. So, um, But when I was 18 and my parents left to go out of town, what do you think I did? Had a party. I found my, I know, no, no, no. Oh, that's right. You were boring. No, no, I might have had a party, but I, I got back in there and got the paperwork. And you remember in uh, 1978, when I was 18, there was no internet, there was no Google, there was no DNA testing, there was no anything like that. So I took what I, There's no Googling who's my dad. No, yeah. no. so I looked uh, in front of me. I took the paperwork that I had and I called the city hall in this town that I was in. And then there's this what the miracle started for me. I called the city hall and I said, here's the time I was born. Here's my name. And here's my birth mother's name. I'm just trying to find out where she is. And they had had a fire in the city hall and those records had been destroyed. So I figured I was at a standstill. But the lady, while she was talking to me, she I heard a guy talking in the background and she said, can you hang on for a second? I said, sure. So then she talked to this man for a minute and she came back. She goes, one of our former employees are here. They, he retired a while back, but he's here to eat lunch with us. He said he might know who she is. Would you like to talk to him? So, of course, I did. And he connected me. He knew the whole birth, my whole birth family. Wait, this person there happened to know your mother. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is miracle number one. You're fixing to get a couple. <laughs> okay. Okay. So he 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 just got on the phone. He goes, "Who are you looking for, boy?" And I said, "Well, <laughs> and uh, he knew the whole family and everything. And then he connected me with her cousin, my birth mother's cousin, okay, who then told me that uh, she was married to this man, and she gave her his name wrong, oh. uh, at least his first initials had the last name right. Okay, so and said they lived in uh, in Nashville. So then I. Uh, called Nashville information and asked for that particular name. And they, the lady on the phone said, well, we have six of those. I said, give me all six. She said, I can only give you three. I said, give me three. And then I called back and got the other three. But then I started calling all these people. Now, this is back in the day and time when even very few people had uh, answer machines, really. And so after a while, I went through all six of them. And the last one, I, she answered the phone, the lady, I said, are you, and I gave my birth mother's name. She said, no, I'm not. And I thought, well, there we go. That's all of them. She goes, but I know somebody with that name. Oh. And I said, 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She said, yeah, her husband did some drywall work for us when we had a leak in our house. Oh, my God. But they word. don't live in Nashville. They, they don't live in Nashville. They live in a town that surrounds Nashville. But here's her husband's name, which was slightly different than this lady's husband's name. So then I called this town, and there was three of them. And then the third one I called was her. And at 11.15 on a Sunday night, mm. we found each other. Oh, my. I mean, just... That is just, just right there is enough. Like that's really wild how the Lord worked that out. Now, did you, let me ask you this. Did you know anything about your dad at this point or if you had brothers or sisters? Like, did you know anything? No. And I, not until I talked to her Sunday night, she said, I want to meet you. And I said, well, whenever you want to, she goes, I'll be there Tuesday morning. (laughs) So, uh, on Tuesday. On Tuesday morning, she drove up, and of course, she and her, she brought her sister, who was my aunt. And the funny, first funny thing was when she uh, came up the driveway, when the two of them did, you know, what was my first problem? I didn't know who was who. So she literally had to introduce herself to me. And we spent, uh, I think they spent two days in Memphis where I got to know them. Then she invited me to their house. So then I went to their house in, in Nashville, outside of Nashville, and just really got to know him. And that's when I had all the information. She told me about my birth father and said that, you know, of course, he was older and married and had three kids. And she had a picture of him. It's funny that Michael had a, a picture of a military guy. She handed me a picture of him at his oldest son's wedding. And, and it was cut down the middle to where it was only a picture of him. And uh, she handed that to me. I'm still, it's still in a photo album in my house. So the only thing I had to him was I had his name and I had his kids' names. And I knew where he lived at the time. And I had the picture of him. And that was it. And I never really thought about it. And, and then my birth mother said, and I think... Years after he got me pregnant, he got another lady pregnant. So I knew that there was another kid floating out there somewhere, but didn't know who it was. Okay, so you find out about the dad. Are you wanting to meet him? No. Okay, so uh, so at this point now, you don't want to meet him. No. Are you wanting to meet this other child? Like, are you curious about this? Well, I was curious. You know, when I met... I was very, very, you know, my story, I always say, uh, if I ever wrote a book, I, and I, w- I would love to, I would call it, and so this is grace, because there were so many miracles in this story. And when I met my birth mother, number one, she had three children, a girl and two boys, and she had a husband. So I thought, well, what is their husband going to think about me? And, uh, it, you know, it, does he want to kill me or, or whatever? Because um, you never really know. He loved me to death. We got along. In fact, he just died. I was at his funeral a couple of years ago. Super wonderful guy. Her children are just like brothers and sisters. And now, now their children are as well. And we all got along so well. Now we've been friends for, see, I'm 50, 41 years. And so that part of it was fascinating. But now you'll love this. The night that my birth mother was talking about my birth father and the, and and I, you know, I knew I didn't really want to meet him. We had talked about that for years, but she really got into detail one night after I got to, I got lucky enough to play with a really 
well-known band in Nashville contracted to play. And I went to her house to kind of calm down. And uh, we stayed up all night long talking. And that's when she opened up with stories about how she felt as a 17-year-old girl who had to get into her hospital gown in a robe and go to a courthouse and have a lady hand me to her for the first time. And then she had to turn around and hand me to my adopted mother who was 25 at the time and start realizing these were children, you know, in this position of such great, um, you know, I don't know what you would call that pressure. So I, she was telling this whole story and then, uh, and all that. And just to let you know the timing of it, right in the middle of it on television, they came on and said, there's breaking news. Princess Diana has been in a car wreck in France. So, the whole night as we talked, Princess Diana passed away. So that's how that's how I marked time. I remember that night. Very well. Okay, so then what happens? Okay, so um, as I'm a minister, and as a minister at a fairly large church in Midtown at the time, I'm not there now, I'm at a different one, but um, I was doing a lot of funerals at this local funeral home, what's the largest funeral home really in Memphis, and uh, I was hired by a guy to come in and do funerals for families that don't have a minister but wanted to have one at the service. So uh, I was talking to this guy that had hired me in, um, <clears throat> And one day, he, he lived in a neighborhood in Midtown next to a guy that went to church with me. And they were at a Christmas party, and my name came up, and they started talking about my adoption story. And he, he told him, he said, you've got to ask him about this adoption story because it's absolutely amazing. So, well, the next time I came in to do a funeral for a 94-year-old lady, he came walking in the break room where I was looking over my paperwork, and he said, hey, I've been told I need to ask you about your adoption story, that it's amazing. I said, well, it is It is pretty amazing. Um, I, I told him the whole nine yards of it. He said, where did all this happen? And I said, a little tiny, tiny town in Tennessee. If you sneezed, you'd missed it going through. And he said, what is it? What town? And I named the town, and he turned white as a sheet. And I said, what's, what's wrong with you? And he said, I'm from there. And I said, no, you're not. He goes, no, as God is my witness, I am from there. And he asked me who my birth mother was, and I told him, and all this information started coming through. And he goes, who was your birth father? I said, well, he had, you know, he was lived here. He goes, what was his name? And so I said his name, and he again, he turned white as a sheet. And I said, what's wrong? He goes, Morgan, that's my uncle. And I said, I said, you're lying. He said, I, I, as God is my witness, again, I am not lying. That is my uncle. That's my father's older brother. And I said, married and three kids, and he named them. And I said, oh, that's wow. you know. So he started crying, and I started crying, and then we had to you know, clean up and go do this poor lady's funeral. And then uh, after that, he told me, he goes, you know, there's another another guy that, that lives out here that's, that's your half-brother. And I said, no, I didn't, but I'd like to meet him. He goes, well, he's a musician. He's this and that. But the similarities, similarities began to come out even before a lot of detail came to the table. So in the next few days, here came friend request after friend request on Facebook after friend request. And one of them was uh, this nutty musician <laughs> from Muscle Shoals, Alabama. You just find out that you have a brother and you're going to meet him. Mm -hmm. What is going through your mind? 
Well, the uh, well, actually, I had three brothers and a sister because uh, our birth father's actual three kids were three of the friend requests I got on Facebook within two days, and and then Mark, and then Michael was Michael was the fourth. But the, the, of course, I, I I guess we all have our our little indulgences, and mine was that I wanted to actually wanted to meet Michael first because of all the uh, actual similarities that we have. And and if you've, you've met both of us, we have the same goatee mustache. We have, we look about the same. Our voices blend like, like uh, cream and sugar, you know, and I, and I kind of knew when I figured that out, that it was going to be that way. Then I came to visit him in Muscle Shoals, met Denise. Um, now. Okay. Hold on. Now, Michael. Yes. How did you find this information out? Our dad's oldest son found out, and and he said, we found the other you. And I said, what do you mean? He said, we found the other you. And then he told me the story of how it happened. Mm. And for me, uh, well, I, I think I lost it for a minute, but it was like deep breath. And it was like, finally, after all these years of hearing and wondering, and I'm going to get to meet this person mm. and then to find out he's uh, uh my brother and you know that i've never met and then like morgan said when you find out the similarities and stuff it, it was just like a song waiting to be written and then he and i got together and we're we're, we're, we're actually we're talking about it this morning our, our children can't wait to meet each other our grandchildren we're just looking forward to having our own type of family reunion here soon because his children and my children. Oh, they haven't met yet? Not yet. Oh, my word. Oh, my goodness gracious. That is so incredible. Okay. So you guys meet for the first time. Tell me, what is that like? Well, I can't. That, that's actually more the kind of miraculous story to it. And I see that's what, when, uh, when Sarah, when I mentioned to you about grace a few minutes ago, part of the grace is, is if you never thought about meeting your birth father, didn't care about the whole situation, but at 50, well, I was 58 at the time, at 58 years of age, suddenly your birth father's passed away, but all of a sudden this, this floodgate opens up with all these people. And I knew I had a connection to this guy at Memorial Park that was just palatable. It was just uh, palpable. You could just feel it. He and I connected, and of course we turned out to be cousins. And, but then when I met Michael, the craziest things that from our both of our lives, <laughs> there, there's there been a musician that I've been obsessed with my whole life. His name's Lenny LeBlanc. He was with a group called LeBlanc and Carr in the 70s. And, and I got to meet him and interview him when I was in college, and I've just always been infatuated with him. And he eventually went into Christian music and wrote um, Above All and so many other big Christian and hits. And I laughed when I said, well, I went into ministry and look at Lenny LeBlanc. He's gone into Christian music. Well, I got here to meet Michael and Michael works at the very studio <laughs> where Lenny LeBlanc has recorded all of his stuff. And, when I, and just the miracles and, and all of that. We met uh, at a hotel and then came to basically at the recording studio. We spent the first, I don't know, I guess handful of hours that we were ever together. And then started jumping the hurdles of that our stories were different, but but we certainly were coming to the same place. And uh, Michael, what was this like for you when you meet Morgan for the first time? Like you, it felt like a puzzle piece, right? Like was fitted together. Well, it it, 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 it was like 
it was like you, it, I don't know if you've seen those astronaut movies where they're trying to get the shuttle to line up with the space lab, <laughs> and and you know all of a sudden everything locks together. For for me, it was like that missing piece that had been missing when I first found out about that as um, early in my life. It was like wow, and then when you look at the similarities we've had in music and ministry and our children and, you know, our grandchildren and just the parallels of two men that, you know, if you could probably run our, the films of our life side by side, even though our stories were dramatically different, the, the similarities and, and how ironically God uses the brokenness of our own lives to allow us the grace, as, as Morgan talked about, to forgive and love. Because I honestly believe it was through grace and forgiveness that Morgan and I sitting here talking to you right now. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And this is just a random question, but was your dad a musician? Like, how did this, how did you both, Was is there musicians in your family? Like, what? Well, I found out, you know, after finding out about him, I found out where that, poetry and music and, and singers and and I, and and see ironically after talking and getting to know our dad Morgan knew that something that I didn't I didn't know our dad could sing and and, and uh, mm. Morgan found out he could sing like a bird yeah they said he had a beautiful wow. voice <clears throat> wow. it was wow. something I want you to tell me this story about the stained glass no it's like I was telling earlier when I came back from Texas I was very a broken man. I'm very broken. And I was in a worship service at this church. And I'm, tr- I'm truly talking about the prodigal coming home. I, th- it was one of those days the worship starts and the pastor, who I ended up co-writing the song with, didn't even get to his sermon. He actually had a sermon that day on stained glass. But I stood in front of this window that's about 20 feet tall and 15 feet wide, huge stained glass window. And I'm standing there, tears rolling down my face, hands raised in worship. And and I heard the Lord speak to my heart and said, I want you to write that. And that afternoon, I had other appointments. I canceled everything that I had. And, and I said, Lord, what do you want me to say? He said, son, everybody is with stained glass, without the blood of my son. I don't care if they're inside the church or outside of the church. And And really, before I could get pen to paper it just started flowing sir well we're going to have an opportunity to hear this beautiful song in just a minute Um, but before we hear it what have you guys learned through all of this through this through both of your stories and then through meeting what have you guys learned well i think um Michael and I talked on the way home of course we we were on the james robinson show with you and um then there were other miracles that you and your husband had put together the very place where we do all of our Emmaus things. Even miracles just continued even in Dallas, Texas to fall into place. But on the way home in the car, Michael and I had a long conversation about all the things that we wished we said. And, and if the story of his birth mother and my birth mother and my adopted mother, all three of those ladies, I want to focus on them for a second. And, and of course, everybody else that was involved in family and everything, if all the pain that they went through, and I certainly listened to stories where all of them had gone through a gigantic amount of pain for Michael and I to be born and then be given away, or I was, and then 
raised and the whole nine yards, if their pain helps someone else that's in that same place, we were just praying that that's what would happen. If there's a, Michael's birth mother was 18, mine was 17. If there's a 17 or an 18 year old girl that's listening to your podcast and she's in a position and thinks her back's up against a wall, just that she knows she's not alone. She's not used. She's not used up. She's not, um, forgotten that that God is with her and that whatever she can do in her life, it will mean something. And there's always a choice. And Michael and I are living proof of that. And for any birth father that was in the position our birth father was, reconciliation is a beautiful thing and grace is abundant and it's absolutely out there for everyone that looks for it. And, uh, also, for those people like my parents, the adopted folks that put their foot up and give themselves to raising somebody else, thank you. And just that God gives them strength and all. But we just hope that uh, people understand that God gives you so much with grace and mercy and forgiveness. Because literally, like Michael writes, we are all broken glass. Mm. And on that, thank you. That was I'm so grateful you said all of that. And uh, we'd love to hear your song. Driving by the church on Sunday From the outside looking in There are those and there those out here Lord dealing with their sin Rainbow-colored windows made me realize at last. No matter which side of the wall you're on, we're all stained glass. I don't come here for religion, no. That's not what it's about. We're all pilgrims on the journey. Try to get life figured out. Some come with broken pieces. And for some, the die is cast. But we're all part of God's mosaic. And we're all staying glad.
I'm like about to burst into tears. I'm like literally <laughs> holding back. That is so beautiful, you guys. Thank you so much. And uh, people can get that song. Entertainment.com And it should, it will be available. I, I know by October 10th. Mm-hmm. And is it, a, is it a whole album or is it a single? Uh, actually, I've got two singles on there. Uh, one is available right now called God Save the Dream. It's a patriotic anthem about, you know, people, you know, we want to pray that God will say the dream we call America. And then mm-hmm. Stained Glass will be available October the 10th. Okay. Thank you guys so much. This Your story is incredible. God is so kind and so good. And I'm so thankful for you guys. Thank you so much for coming on and telling your story. Thank you, sir, for having us. Okay, friends, check out the show notes because you can find a link to the iTunes where you can get the song Stained Glass. Uh, It's going to be available tomorrow. And also you can go to AloisEntertainment.com. That link is also in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. Driving by the church on Sunday From the outside looking in their nose out here Lord dealing with their sin The rainbow colored windows made me realize at last No matter which side of the wall you're on We're all stained glass